Hello and welcome to the Hot Rod Bible Study where tonight we're coming to you live from Jim and Jan Sheridan's place in the mighty metropolis of Chino Valley, Arizona. You probably know this, but uh, since I, since Pam and I moved here to Arizona, Jim and I have been palling around going on different hot rod adventures. Our latest one was to Scottsdale, Arizona, where we did live from there. And our next hot rod adventure is going to be up to uh, Kalispell, Montana for the big shindig coming around the end of June. And hope some of you can be there. And hopefully some of you from Montana are watching this. So that's good. Uh, tomorrow, it's Good Friday. Now, Good Friday has a real special meaning to me. Um, because without Good Friday, we wouldn't be celebrating Easter. We would not be celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Without Good Friday, Christmas really wouldn't mean anything. Because on Good Friday, we remember Jesus going to the cross and paying the price for our sins. The sin, we, we are the ones, you and I, everybody within the sound of my voice, we're the ones who put Jesus on the cross. Our sins did. And it was through His sufferings and death, and better yet, His resurrection, that we have the assurance of being with Him in paradise. So, Good Friday to me is very special. With that being said, tonight we're going to do kind of a special. We're going to be looking at the crucifixion uh, through John 19, verses 17 through 30. So if you join me in prayer, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for sending Your Son to pay the price for our sins. Um, it's, it is just unimaginable the humiliation and the suffering that He went through on our behalf. So Lord, we remember that tonight and tomorrow, obviously, and, and we'll be able to celebrate His resurrection on Sunday. So tonight be with us, open our hearts and our minds, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay. Here we are again, John, we've been studying first John, but now we are in the Gospel of John and chapter 19, again, beginning at the 17th verse where it says, and he, that's a capital he, meaning Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. 
Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, I have written what I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it should be, that the, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and my clothing they cast, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were now completed, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. All four Gospels tell the story of the crucifixion. I think this one in John does it very succinctly. Uh, there's so many things that can, you know, you could do a study for a week on the crucifixion. I don't know that all of us have the stomach for that. So we'll see what God has to tell us through the pen of John this evening. Again, 17th verse says, And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha. Okay, uh, bearing his cross. This is another bit of humiliation that Jesus suffered, as did those who were being crucified. Now, there are some historians and Bible scholars, and I kind of think this is the way it is, that mention that what Jesus actually carried was the horizontal piece of the cross. Okay, because they mentioned that generally what would happen is a vertical piece, the upright, would be already at the place of crucifixion. Uh, so, this again Jesus was carrying this cross piece through the city again as more humiliation. The entire act of crucifixion is to humiliate the person who is being crucified. We'll get further in that. Okay. And it went out to the place, the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is Golgotha. Now, there is some dis 
The location of Golgotha is disputed among Bible scholars today. Some say it is where the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre is, was a spot. Others show pictures of a hill in the area that looks like a skull. Uh, there's arguments on both sides. I don't really think it matters. That's kind of one of those audio-offer things where we could argue about it all night long. And since it hasn't been settled in all these many years, we're not going to settle it here tonight. But suffice to say, suffice to say, uh, Golgotha was outside of the city walls, and it was a place where they did crucify people. Okay, verse 18 says where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Uh, again, about uh, crucifixion, the Roman statesman Cicero said that it was an act so abominable, it is impossible to find any word adequately to express it. The Roman historian Tacticus called crucifixion a torture fit only for slaves. Um, there are some who have seen, and I don't know if you have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Uh, there are some that say the depiction of Jesus being scourged and then brought up to be crucified was too violent. Uh, personally, I think it may not have been violent enough. The Romans were very violent in this. When they scourged somebody, they were within one lash of death. And they used, I believe it's called the cat of nine tails, where it had leather straps that had rock uh, and glass and all these different things that was meant to expose the nerve endings. Terrible. You know, they were they were very proficient at torture. And this is what Jesus suffered for us. And again, it says that two others were with him, one on either side with Jesus in the center. Okay? This is interesting. Jesus, the Savior in the center, an unrepentant sinner on one side and a repentant sinner on the other side. Let's look at Luke chapter 23, 39 through 43, where it says, Then one of the criminals who were, who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you were under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. One of the reasons I wanted to share that is I want you to notice something. 
Jesus didn't look at that thief on the cross and say, hey, let me see your membership card. Or he didn't inquire, what are your feelings about uh, communion or baptism? All these things that should, again, the two things that should unite us as Christians, meaning mostly what I mean by that is communion and baptism are the things that divide us the most. Fortunately, again, these things don't affect your salvation. What affects your salvation? What did the thief on the cross express? His faith in Jesus. And what did Jesus say? <laughs> I'll see you there today, man. That's it. We men make it too, too complicated. It's very simple. Today, I see you in paradise, Jesus said to that man. Okay. Verse 19. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. A title, that's a, that's a sign that went up there, and it had the name of the, um, um, the person being crucified, and underneath it, what his, or, well, his, uh, the, the um, charges against him were. And so on here, it says the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, it's interesting that it talks about Nazareth. Nazareth, Nazareth was a very humble town. Uh, kind of like, uh, well, it, 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 I gotta say that the, uh, disciple Nathaniel, when he came to know the Lord, uh, mentioned in, back in verse, in chapter one of John here, he said, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's kind of like saying, can anything good come out of Ash Fork? Anything good come out of Mentone? Or anything good come out of Boone? And all these little bergs that we know. And there it was. Humble. This is where Jesus was from. Nazareth. Humble beginnings. Jesus humbled himself. Remember this. Jesus humbled himself. God humbled himself to be man, to pay the price for our sins. Verse 20 goes on to say, Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place was where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. You know, this was laid out so anybody could read, anybody in the area who could read would understand what was going on here. All right? It's funny. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said, funny, not funny, ha-ha, funny how the chief priests acted, said to Pilate, do not write king of the Jews, but write, he said he was the king of the Jews. I love Pilate's response. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. <laughs> it's kind of like, 
you know, I think old Pilate had his fill, the chief priest. Remember, he had to go through this mock trial. Remember, there's a mock trial with Jesus. And why was he being crucified? Well, because the chief priest said that he blasphemed and our law says that he should be put to death. But we can't do it, but you Romans can. And that's what we want. Crucify him. I think Pilate had his fill of the chief priests. Verse 23 goes on to say, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now here's something else that's uh, interesting about crucifixion. Uh, Men were ordinarily crucified naked. Jewish sensitivities, however, dictated that men ought not be publicly executed completely naked, and men condemned to stoning were permitted a loincloth. And it goes on to say, whether the Romans were considerate of Jewish feelings in this matter is unknown. That comes from Lane's commentary on Luke. Again, my own feelings, such as was the way Jesus was depicted in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, too violent. I have a pretty good idea that they left Jesus up there naked. Why? More humiliation. Jesus suffered the most horrific and humiliating way to die. Back to what Cicero had to say. It was so abominable, it is impossible to find any word adequately to express. Think about that, folks. Jesus did that for you. Jesus did that for me. And not because we're such great folks. We're, We're sinners. And he loved us that much to do this. This this is the thing. When you really look at what happened on Good Friday, that really either you think it's a bunch of baloney or it really cements your faith. As you can probably tell by my demeanor, it's something that really cements my faith. Um, just the thought of what Jesus, God in the flesh, went through is just beyond imagination. Okay. Now, the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece, which pretty much describes the high priestly robe from Exodus chapter 28. We'll look at that. It says, starting at the 31st verse, you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening for the head in the middle of it. It shall be woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. Okay, just one woven piece. The thing that I, why I want to point out that it's like the high priestly robe. Jesus is our high priest. As scripture says, from the uh, priesthood like Melchizedek. 
Melchizedek did not come through the priestly line of the Levites. Neither did Jesus. Jesus came from the line of David. And Jesus is our high priest who steps in for us. Every year, Yom Kippur, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sacrifice for the sins of the nation of Israel. One guy. And it's interesting, they would tie a rope onto him because just in case something happened to him, they could drag him out because nobody else could go behind, go behind the curtain, which, by the way, tore during the midst of Jesus' crucifixion, signifying that now we can come directly to God through Jesus. But back to that, Jesus is our high priest. When the high priest went into the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, he stood the whole time. Where is Jesus now? Seated at the right hand of the Father because all the sacrifice for sin was completed on the cross. Verse 24, They, meaning the soldiers, said therefore among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. That's quoting Psalm 22, verse 18. Okay, again, another prophecy that was fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ. I've been harping on this the last few weeks. Remember that it, the odds, I got the right word this time. I stuttered on it the other day. The odds of eight prophecies coming true are one in 10 to the 17th power. 10 with 17 odds on the back of that. Just think of over 330 prophecies that came through came true in the person of Jesus Christ. If somebody out there in the sound of my voice has yet to surrender to Jesus, just ponder that. Just ponder that. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, who was probably Salome, okay, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. These are the two Marys that show up on Resurrection Day to the tomb first. Those are the two Marys, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, remember this is how John refers to himself. John doesn't refer this to say, hey, I'm the one that Jesus loved, which actually you and I can do. We all can do who have surrendered to him. We can brag that Jesus loves us, that he loves us so much to pay the price for our sins, even though we don't deserve it. And that's what John is talking about. He loved me even though I don't deserve it. Therefore, when he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, 
woman, and this is not a derogatory term. In that day, that was a term of endearment, a term of respect, calling somebody, a, a lady, woman. Okay, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. Now think about this. If this really leads to a question, we have Jesus had half brothers and sisters. Okay. Uh, it mentions the brothers, James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon. Doesn't mention the sisters. Again, if you, if you think about the culture of the time, wasn't often that women were mentioned. It's pretty big that, that, uh, Mary and her sister and Mary, the wife of Clopas and, and Mary Magdalene are mentioned in here. They didn't mention Jesus's sisters too. So why wouldn't they think, why wouldn't Jesus think that they would take care of his mom? Well, it seems to me the reason being is they is brothers and sisters, half brothers and sisters did not believe Jesus to be the Messiah. That changed after the resurrection. That changed after the resurrection. We just studied the book of James, which is Jesus' half-brother. That changed after the resurrection. Lots of things changed after the resurrection. But at the time, they were not believers. And so John took Mary mother of Jesus, into his home. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, again, said, I thirst, which comes out of Psalm 22, verse 15. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. In the Greek, that's tetelestai, which means paid in full. If you had a running ledger of your debt and you paid it off, in Greek, across there it would say tetelestai, paid in full. Notice Jesus didn't say, you know, I paid part of this down for you. You get to earn your rest of your way out. No, no. Paid in full. Jesus paid the price in full. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Every year on Good Friday, well, today, if you're from a traditional uh, liturgical church you'll recognize today as being Maundy Thursday, the day before Good Friday, the day in which Jesus instituted uh, the Holy Communion with the Last Supper. But every year at this time, there's something I... I don't know if I like to read this, but I feel compelled to read this. What this is, is a... Medical doctor provides a physical description of crucifixion. The cross is placed on the ground and the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. 
The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backwards against the right foot and both feet extended, toes down. A nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating, fiery pain shoots through the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through his muscles, knotting them with deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the blood stream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward and exhale to bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-wrenching cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as the tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in his chest as the pericardium fills slowly with serum and begins to reach a critical level. Pardon me, and can, can be, it begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. Finally, he can allow his body to die. All this, and the Bible records with the simple words, and they crucified him. It's something to ponder. There was an old hymn, Jesus, I will ponder now on thy holy passion. I would encourage everybody, again, within the sound of my voice, to ponder what Jesus did on that Good Friday over 2,000 years ago. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you.
Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.